I'm going to begin, we're in Philippians chapter 3, by reading verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. If you've been with us at all through the Philippians series or you're at all familiar with the book, you know this isn't the first time that Paul's talked about rejoicing in the Lord. And that's the main thing I'm going to talk about today. Rejoice in the Lord. And it may feel like, man, we've repeated this a decent amount and kind of spoiler alert, it's going to be repeated even more before the book of Philippians concludes. But there's a reason for that. And Paul feels a need to explain it to us. Paul, the author of the letter here, tells us that to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So it's no trouble to me. It's no sweat off my back to keep telling you to rejoice in the Lord. But the bigger reason is that it is safe for you. This letter of Philippians is written from a prison cell, and it's written to people who were facing similar kinds of opposition in their lives. The the church at Philippi was facing similar things. And when you're in those difficult situations of suffering and hardship, it's easy to wonder what to do. Um, you know, if you're in a jail cell for the sake of the gospel, do you try to escape so you can go to more towns? Do you try to just minister to the guards there and kind of accept your fate? And when situations like that come up in our lives, we wonder the same things. What do I do? Uh, What's God's will for me in this situation? And the Bible doesn't always give us kind of one-to-one correspondence, simple pat answers for here's exactly what to do in every situation that comes your way. But what we're seeing in the book of Philippians and in this passage is that there is one safe option. Uh, Whether you're suffering, whether you're even in times of great joy and of blessing, the safe thing to do in any of those situations is to rejoice to rejoice in the Lord always. And it needs to be repeated over and over again because there are just so many enemies to you experiencing the happiness and joy that comes from rejoicing in the Lord in this world. And today we're going to focus on one of those enemies in particular. And that enemy is the legal spirit. The legal spirit. That's just a a term that I'm giving it, borrowing from a theologian named Sinclair Ferguson. And I've defined the legal spirit in this way. The legal spirit is a disposition of heart where I do what I do in order to merit the favor of God or someone else. The legal spirit is a disposition of heart where I do what I do to merit the favor of God or someone else. And if you let this legal spirit get its hooks into you, and become a central thing in your life, it will kill your rejoicing. So how do you fight it? How do you fight the legal spirit and thereby guard the joy and happiness that comes from rejoicing in the Lord? We're going to look at three things that this passage gives us to fight that legal spirit. First, count your gain as loss. Second, count Christ as ultimately valuable. And third, count knowing Christ the goal of your life. So I'm going to read now from Philippians chapter 3. I'll start again back in verse 1 and read up through verse 16. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So first thing, the first way to fight this legal spirit and guard your rejoicing is to count your gain as loss. So immediately after this exhortation to rejoice in verse 2, Paul says, look out. Is a warning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And we get a hint into who these people are he's telling us to look out for by this last phrase, those who mutilate the flesh. He's referring to a group of people that the, theologically we would call the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who had become Christians, who had come out of a history in Judaism as their uh, religion and as their cultural background. And when they became Christians, they thought that in order to merit the favor of God, one not only needed to believe in Jesus, but also to be circumcised. And therefore, when they saw others becoming Christians who had not yet been circumcised, like the Philippians, many of whom did not have a Jewish background, they were telling them, you still need to have this right if you are to merit the favor of God. And that's not coming from nowhere. It's not totally crazy that they thought this way necessarily, uh, because circumcision was a gift that was given by God to the Jewish people. But it was given by God as a sign of God's favor, not as something they were to use to merit God's favor. So they took this sign that was supposed to indicate to them God's love and said, "This this is the thing you do in order to make God love you. I don't know when this became a tradition, but recently I've gotten a kick out of the shirts that they make for toddlers now. You know, little kid shirts, they say stuff like, my dad is the man, or um, one handsome beast. Um, Circumcision is kind of like a shirt a father would get for his uh, newborn son that says, my daddy loves me. It's just a, a way of assuring him, yes, your daddy loves you. But it would be a little weird if when that kid was 13 years old, he was still trying to wear that shirt. And that if his father adopted some other kids and they didn't have the shirt, that he was looking at them like, yo, you don't have the shirt. You can't claim to have my father's favor. You can't claim to belong to my dad. But that's what the Judaizers, the people described in verse 2, were doing. That's what the legal spirit, having years to work on uh, a right that was not actually meant to merit God's favor in the first place, that's what they turned it into. And that's what the legal spirit does when it gets a hold of these things. But in verse 3, Paul makes a contrast. He says, Circumcision that's done under the legal spirit to merit God's favor is just mutilation of the flesh. You want to know what real circumcision is? Here's what it is. It's worshiping by the Spirit of God, in verse 3, glorying Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in the flesh. 
So he says the true worshipers of God are not those who put their confidence in circumcision, but those who put no confidence in circumcision. In fact, it's those who put no confidence in anything coming from their flesh or their efforts. In fact, Paul himself says, if you want confidence in the flesh, I have even more. So he says in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he has that, but there's more. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. As far as religion goes, this guy had it all, right? He's saying... There was nothing you could look at in Paul and say, hey man, but you're still not doing. You would think if anyone is deserving of the favor of God, this is the guy. He was zealous, right? He gave effort. The law, God's law, you list it out, you can't find one area to knock Paul in. Blameless under the law, he says. So what he's done is he's accumulated this really impressive resume. And you think if anyone is going to be accepted by God and merit his favor, it would have to be this guy, Paul. He's the kind of guy you would say, if anyone's going to heaven, it's, it's got to be him. And yet, in verse 7, this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He started to look at his resume, not as an asset, but as a liability. He started to look at that gain as loss because he realized, I can't keep my resume and gain Christ. And therefore, this resume is just getting in the way. So true rejoicing, to truly rejoice in the Lord, means letting go of your resume. You can't keep your resume and gain Christ. Not only does it mean letting it go, but he goes on. He goes on to say, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, rubbish is not a word most of us probably use. It's more common among uh, British English speakers. It's a polite way of translating what the original language um, word means, excrement. He's saying, not only do you have to let go of your resume, you have to call it crap. You have to count your gain as lost. You have to count your resume as crap. And not because the things on it are necessarily bad in and of himself. It was a good thing for a Jew to be circumcised. It was a sign that God had given them of his favor. It was a good thing for Paul to be blameless under the law, to be obedient to many of the things that God had put out there. But when the legal spirit gets a hold of that stuff, it takes it and uses it to merit God's favor. And so it says to God, and it kind of takes this approach towards God. It says, God, I know you're not good. I know you're kind of an angry judge, and so you've given me stuff to do, fine. I'm just going to do it just enough and just to make you have to give me good things and give me your favor. And when we relate to God in that way, that is disgusting in God's sight. And when you think, I'm going to relate to God in that way and just keep adding to my resume, what Paul's saying is you're not actually adding to a resume. You're just accumulating more and more crap. Have you ever had the experience of walking into a public restroom and you go to use one of the stalls and you realize the person before you must have just like somehow forgotten to flush the toilet? What Paul is saying here is that when you try to add to your resume in order to merit God's favor, you're just adding more crap 
to that already disgusting toilet. So watch out. Look out for the people who would say to you, hey, you better add to your resume. They're only leading you to add more crap to the toilet. And if you do it, if you give in to it, if you let this legal spirit run your life, it will kill your rejoicing. Why? It puts you in a mode of yeah, but spirituality. Every time rejoicing comes, there's a yeah, but. So, as I said, this letter was written from prison, and Paul has been saying that part of the reason he can rejoice while he's in prison is because the gospel is still going forward. But what the legal spirit will do is you'll be in a hard situation, and someone will encourage you with the way the gospel is going forward, even through your hardship. And instead of rejoicing, you'll say, yeah, but I'm still not reading my Bible enough. In fact, whatever you put in the blank after that yeah, but is a good indication of what you're putting your confidence in. The thing that stops you from rejoicing because you're not doing it is likely the part of your flesh you're putting your confidence in. For many of you, it's probably not not, um, circumcision. But here are a few of the things I do hear people saying. Yeah, but I can't get my diet and exercise under control. Yeah, but I'm still single. Yeah, but I've got a big test coming up and I'm just not feeling good about it. Yeah, but I'm still not parenting my kids well. Yeah, but I don't have the job I want. Yeah, but I don't have my retirement account and my investments all figured out. Here's what mine is. Um, Yeah, but the church still has so many weaknesses. Who told you you needed those things? Who's telling you you better have that on your resume? Whose favor are you trying to merit? Maybe it's not God's, okay? Maybe you say, I'm not a religious type. Um, But whose is it? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it even your boss or the person in the mirror, right? Is it you trying to live up to your own standards? The point is, religious or not, we're all trying to build our resume. The legal spirit doesn't discriminate. It's there in all of us. It stops you from rejoicing when you fail. And on the flip side, when you succeed, you don't rejoice in the Lord either. You just rejoice in yourself. When you hear that God loves you, you kind of have a response of, well, yeah, why wouldn't he? I've got the resume, right? Um, When God blesses you, the thought is, it's about time, right? I've been serving him all these years. It's about time. I got something in return for it. It's like when you work a job and you get your paycheck, you don't rejoice because you deserve it, right? You worked for it. And if that's what God's favor is like to you, there's not going to be any rejoicing in your relationship with him. Not only that, it'll make you a critic of others as well. Because the easiest way to build your own resume is often to try to poke holes in others. It goes from being a loving correction where I see things in your life that uh, aren't currently matching the joy you can have in Jesus and out of concern for you, I want to talk to you about them. That's the right kind of correction the Bible gives us to being something I get a weird high off of. Like I just love telling people when they're wrong and I feel better and better as I point out more and more of the faults of other people. Does this describe you? If so, the legal spirit has its hooks in you. Look out. Recognize all your resume building is really just dirtying more toilet paper. And rather than adding more to it, just do what any sane person wants to do when you walk into that bathroom and you see the toilet full of crap. Flush it. Flush it down. This is exactly what Paul says he did in verse 8. He says he suffered the loss of all 
things and counts them as rubbish. But the scary thing about losing all things is it leaves you with nothing. Like imagine you're going to apply for a job and you've got your resumes in hand and somebody's like, hey, I want you to take that resume and flush it down the toilet. You're like, uh, how am I going to get the job, <laughs> right? Well, what am I going to present for myself? We all have this sense that if I'm going to receive favor from God or from someone, that there has to be something favorable about me in order to get their favor, right? Well, how do you deal with that? The common suggestion today is that uh, you don't need a resume at all. All you need is to be you because you are great. Uh, it's immortalized in many of our songs, right? Bruno Mars, girl, you're amazing just the way you are, right? Pink, pretty, pretty, please. Don't you ever, ever feel like you're less than, less than perfect, right? Don't feel that way. You just be you. The problem with that is that the legal spirit is just as happy to use that. Like now your standard becomes being yourself and your yeah, but becomes, yeah, but I'm still too controlled by the opinions of others, right? I'm just not being myself. It's another thing for you to feel guilty about not measuring up to. It's another thing you'll judge others by, right? So yeah, but they're just sellouts, you know, like those other people, they don't really hold on to themselves. Not only that, you have to figure out who you are and define who you really are, which is a task that's nearly impossible and another thing you can end up feeling guilty about. So really what you've done is you've traded one resume for a different resume. Now it's the resume of how much can you be yourself and resist any um, inputs from people outside of you telling you who you are. Because the reality is the feeling that you have to prove yourself in some way, the need for some kind of resume, just doesn't go away that easily. And that's because just like every time you fall, you know there's a force of gravity, a law of gravity. We know that there's a moral law that also governs this universe that requires personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And we've broken it. And we continue to break it over and over and over again. God's law. And like any law, God's law comes with a penalty. A penalty that we are all under. And we feel that. And we know, I don't actually deserve God's favor. And so we try to compensate for it by building our resume. So that we can convince ourselves that we're somebody. And that's why the route that Paul doesn't take is to just lighten up and embrace himself. He doesn't say, verses 4 through 6, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I was blameless, I was working so hard, but then I realized I just need to lighten up, embrace who I am, and be myself. Because he knows there was something wrong with myself, right? The problem is, all my good deeds weren't fixing it. And this is the mistake we always make. We see that there's something wrong with us. We see that we're falling short of God's standard. And we say, I will work harder, I will do better. But it's all rubbish. It's just more toilet paper. It's just continuing to head down this path of building a resume that can never actually merit God's favor. Flush it. Get rid of it. But not so that you'll be empty-handed, so that you might gain something else. Listen to the words of the apostle in this passage, starting in verse 7. Paul, look what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's Christ you need, not a resume. 
The second thing you need to rejoice in the Lord is to count Christ as ultimately valuable. It's not a what, but a who that you need. He's the one who just by being himself, who could really say, I just need to be myself because he's the truly beautiful one who was conformed to the moral law of the universe of all that is right and good and true because he himself is the source and origin of it. He is the one who was truly God, who was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being humbled. He humbled himself to the point of what? Of obedience. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the favorable one. This is the one truly worthy of favor. The one who has perfectly obeyed in your place. You don't need the perfect resume if you have a perfect Savior. And you can have him today if you would confess both your sins, the things you've done wrong, and even your best moral efforts for the crap that they are apart from him. This is what happened to Paul. This is what it means to become a Christian. To to say to God, not only have I done wrong, but even the good things I did were ultimately to merit your favor or to merit the favor of someone else who really was the functional God of my life when you should have been. And Paul says this is what he realized was true of him. All of his resume building was just to merit God's favor and was ultimately crap in God's sight, disgusting in God's sight. And so he flushed it to gain Christ. And he says in verse 9, to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's looking forward to the day when he would meet the judge. The one who wrote the moral law of the universe. The one in whose character that moral law is founded upon. Who would right all wrongs and who would always do justice. And he's saying, I've realized that on that day, I don't want to appear before God with my pile of used toilet paper. I don't want to appear before him saying, here's my goodness. Here's my resume. I want to be found hidden in someone else. I want to be found hidden in Christ not having a righteousness of my own, but having his very righteousness, right? Being found in the righteous one, a righteousness that I receive through faith. And that's what faith is. Faith is open hands. It's saying, I'm letting go of my resume. I have nothing to offer. May I be found in the one who was truly righteous. If that is you, if you are found in him, if you receive his righteousness, a righteousness from God that comes through faith, trusting him and not your own moral efforts. The verdict on your life is secure. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. Those who are justified in Christ are as righteous in the sight of God and as permanently so as is Christ himself. For the only righteousness by which we are righteous is Christ's righteousness. This is the death blow to the legal spirit. This is the death blow to the dogs, to the evildoers, the mutilators. To those who would say, you better build that resume. The courtroom is adjourned. Your successes add exactly nothing 
to the righteousness of Christ. Think about this. Jesus already lived the perfect life. What You think your good deeds can add to that? Your successes add nothing to his righteousness. And your failures take nothing away from the righteousness of Christ. Because it is perfect and it is completed. As long as you are found in Christ, as long as you are hidden in him through faith, your greatest successes cannot commend you to God, and your greatest failures cannot condemn you before God. And as if that wasn't enough, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ doesn't even end there. Because he continues in verse 10 to say that I may know him. Not only do you get to be found in Christ before God, hidden in him and in his righteousness, you get to know him. You get to know the power of his resurrection and look forward to this resurrection from the dead. In fact, this becomes your aim in life. And so the third aspect of rejoicing in the Lord and fighting this legal spirit is to count knowing Christ the goal of your life. I've had an experience with this when I'm talking about these kinds of things with people where people will ask me if uh, my good deeds don't merit God's favor and my bad deeds can't lose God's favor, then why obey? What's the point of living for God? And it's an understandable question. It's a question that I have wrestled with at various times in my life as well. But it really just indicates how deep the legal spirit has its hooks in us. Because as soon as you take the legal motive away, we suddenly can't think of a reason for living it's like it just doesn't even occur to us that maybe you would obey God because he's worthy of it. Because it's the only path to life and to true joy. We think if there's no legal motive, why do it? But if you've ever been in a situation where you were job hunting, you may understand this a little more. When you're job hunting, you're always worrying about whether you're going to be accepted or not. And what are you doing? You're working on your resume, Right? And you get to a point where you just say, I'm tired of working on my resume and doing interviews. I just want to get to work. And what this is saying is, when you are found in Christ, having a righteousness that is not your own, but that which comes through faith in him, resume building is over. You've already been accepted by God. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is going to come from or where you're going to find shelter. That part's over. Now, you can just get to work. You can just get to work knowing this Christ in whose righteousness you are covered. This is the sentiment that we see in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's saying, this righteousness is mine, I'm hidden in it, but I'm not yet perfectly righteous. But I press on to make it my own. Not so that Christ Jesus will make me his own. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own because I'm already in him. Because I'm in him, now I press on to know him and to experience the perfect righteousness that is in him in my own life. And this knowing of Christ is not an abstraction. It's not just a spiritual feeling. To know Christ is to enjoy fellowship with him in the very things he has experienced. And that's why Paul can say that he wants to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why would anyone want, why would he say my aspiration, the reason I want to gain Christ is that I might know his sufferings and share with him in his death because that's the way you get to know Jesus. And it ends with resurrection. Suffering, death, resurrection. How do you pursue it? 
Verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He forgets what lies behind. There's kind of two aspects to this forgetting what lies behind, two ways that this can look. One is, if there are laws from God that, that are not from God, that you're living your life by, that are stopping your rejoicing, that are your yeah buts, flush them. Get rid of them. Stop living your life by things that God hasn't commanded. Stop feeling guilty or like you're falling short for not doing things that God hasn't commanded. Just let them... Those can be good things sometimes. Those can be things that, that, that um, have a part to play in your life, but they should never be the things that stop you from rejoicing. So for example, for me, one law that I was living by that was stopping me from rejoicing is I have to buy a house. Buying a house is a blessing. I'm thankful for the many friends of mine that have been able to buy houses. But it's just not something God has commanded. So it shouldn't be a thing that causes me not to rejoice, right? To, to say, yeah, but to. So I just had to flush it. So I had to say, God, this is great. If you want to bless me with this at some point, that's great. Um, but I'm not going to live my life for this, right? Don't live your life for stuff that God hasn't actually commanded. And if God does give you those things, if God does bless you to be able to buy a house, or if God does make you do well on that test, or God does give you marriage or kids, you forget what lies behind by not living for those things either. As John Piper puts it, God has given you those things that you might use them in such a way that shows, this is not my treasure, Christ is. This is not my treasure. Christ is. Forget the way of life that says this is your treasure. It's not. Christ and knowing him is. But what about the things God has commanded? Right? You may feel guilty because you're falling short of something that God has actually commanded you to do. Well, don't flush God's commandments. okay? But what you do flush, what you do forget, is your past failures and your past successes. You don't keep feeling guilty for ways you failed in the past. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And you don't feel proud for your successes in the past because you're found in a righteousness that is not your own. You're no longer building a resume. Your greatest successes can't commend you. Your greatest failures can't condemn you. So God's commands no longer are what commends or condemns you. They're now what guides you. They're what guides you toward your goal. You need them. So work hard to obey them. It's a straining, Paul says in verse 13, right? I'm straining forward towards the goal. I want to know Christ better. And these commands are showing me what he is like and pointing me in the direction to life, so I want to follow them. But whatever you do, don't wait to rejoice until you're perfectly obeying all those things. You'll never rejoice. Don't let that become the yeah but of your life. Rejoice today. Because today you're found in the righteousness of Jesus, a righteousness not your own. And yet, for all your rejoicing today, don't lose sight of the fact that this is a straining. It is effort, and it is hard. Because to know Christ and his resurrection, what do you have to know first? Think about it. To experience resurrection life, to rise from the dead, what has to happen first? You have to die, right? You have to suffer and die with Christ. And there's no need to make suffering the goal, to say, let me go find suffering. Just make obedience to Jesus the goal. Make knowing him, right, the goal. And suffering will find you. This is the way you get to know Christ. There is no plan B. 
If you want to know the one who suffered, died, and rose from the dead, you're going to suffer, die, and ultimately rise from the dead. And take a whole other sermon to unpack uh, entirely what that means, but I'll just give you one example. Sex. Let's say you're obedient to Jesus' commandments for sex, and you only enjoy a sexual relationship with someone you've also committed your whole life to in the covenant of marriage. That's going to mean saying no to some things that your flesh and your desires are going to tell you they want. And I can't, you know, again, it would take a whole other sermon and, or a series of sermons to unpack why that's so compelling. But here's one reason that a lot of, uh, uh, at least I'll speak for myself, and I'll speak for a lot of uh, guys I know. Uh, you may have one wife, but that's only one woman who's affirming you and who's telling you you're somebody. And sometimes it feels like it'd be, it'd be, it would feel really good if I had a few more women telling me I was somebody. And when you say no to that, you're saying no to the ability to be comforted by sexual encounters with multiple women. But it's only when you do that that you get to experience the incredible blessing of knowing the one who, though he was in the form of God, came to earth and was affirmed not only not by two people, he wasn't even affirmed by one person. When he was on the cross, he was abandoned by his closest relatives, by his closest friends, by his closest disciples, and ultimately by his heavenly Father. Also, that you could know a love, the love of a father that surpasses the love any human, any woman could possibly give. But if you just say, I'm going to make my life about comfort and never having to feel uncomfortable, and you sin your way out of all your uncomfort, you miss out on the opportunity to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in the middle of your suffering and of your hardship, whatever suffering obedience to him brings. The only way you get to know him is by pressing into it, by not sinning your way out of it. As you make decisions like that, it molds you. And molds are uncomfortable, okay? We're like these unmolded globs of clay that are being pushed through a mold. And that mold is the suffering and the commands of Jesus that feel constraining a lot of times. It feels painful. But if you let it mold you, You will let it mold you if you're excited about the product on the other side. And the product on the other side is conformity to Christ. It's making you like him. And he is glorified. He is risen from the dead. It is that resurrection life that you're now living for. If you want to know him, if you want to be with him in his resurrection and in his glory, you've got to go through the mold. Is that your goal? Is it your goal to know Christ today? What's your yeah but? What's stopping you from rejoicing? Flush it. Get rid of it. And take hold of Christ that you may be found in him, not having a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in him, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If that is yours today, don't let anything stop you from rejoicing in him.